Welcome, everybody, to this edition of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame's Hall Call Podcast. I am Will Driscoll, the Executive Director of the Hall of Fame, and I'm thrilled to bring Hall Call to you wherever you may be listening. Our goal here is to highlight the stories and individuals that make sports in Virginia so special. Now, speaking of special, the 1999 Virginia Tech Hokies remain one of the most treasured teams in the history of Virginia sports. They rode a wave of talent to an undefeated regular season, a Big East championship, and a spot in the BCS national title game against Florida State. And at the end of three quarters, held a 29 to 28 lead. Now, while the Hokies weren't able to hold on for the national title, 20 years on, the legacy of that team continues. Today, we actually focus on one of the greatest teams that the state has ever seen, but we do it through the eyes and the voice of one of our inductees. 2013 media inductee Bill Roth was the voice of the Hokies at the time, and he joins us today to take a look back at that season from two decades ago. Bill, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Will. Amazing that it has been uh, 20 years already. It seems just like yesterday uh, we were in New Orleans and getting ready to hopefully win uh, the first national championship for Tech and, and for, the, for the Commonwealth and college football. And as you mentioned, uh, Tech had the lead going into the fourth quarter of that game, but Coach Bowden and his Seminoles rallied to win. But boy, 20 years later, it, uh, it was still a magical, a magical season. It's still something that, that people talk about. And now you came to Blacksburg in 1988, and I think that was Coach Beamer's second season there. Uh, talk about the state of the football program when you got to Blacksburg. So we're kind of taking a step back, looking ahead before the national title year. So talk about what the, where the program was when you got there. Well, it was a much different program and in many, many ways from being unaffiliated conference-wise. This was uh, before even the Big East. I would say that when I came to Virginia Tech in, in, in 1988, Tech football was probably what Google or Yahoo was, right? Just a, a dream for someone. Can, can they make it happen? And Coach Beamer came, inherited a program that was at the time on probation and certainly cash-strapped. I had a completely independent football schedule. It was hard to get games. Very rarely it was a game on television. Uh, so when you're when you're not at a conference and it's hard to even get to a bowl game and you're not on television, it makes it really hard to recruit. And when you inherit a program on probation and you have fewer scholarships than the people you're playing, it's really hard to win. And that's what Coach Beamer had to endure those first few years. But, Will, you could tell that he knew what he was doing. Uh, he, he really relied on in-state kids particularly in the Hampton Roads area, uh, the 757. Uh, he, he built great relationships with the high school coaches down there and great relationships with high school coaches everywhere. And slowly, uh, as, as we saw the, the, the late 80s turn into the 90s and Virginia Tech got into the Big East, you saw the level of talent increase and – and they started winning an awful lot of football games. I think you hit the nail on the head. Winning the recruiting battles, particularly here in the 757, and not necessarily winning them, but just focusing on this area. We've seen how this area has exploded over the last two decades with top-level talent now leaving the state, You know, going to the Penn State's, Clemson's, uh, Alabama's, places like that. But how, how much of a focus was that for Coach Beamer? And, and was that something that he put out there? Or is that something that you just saw, you know, from a media standpoint, saying, well, hey, these kids are coming from Hampton, you know, Virginia Beach, Norfolk, Portsmouth, and places like that? Well, I think, Will, it's a great question. I, I think the timing was huge. The population of Virginia between the day Frank Beamer arrived and the time that Virginia Tech signed Michael Vick, 
the population of the state grew almost by one million people. And as a result, there were a lot more high school high schools and more high school teams. If you go back and, and, and Google a 1987 high school football standings just for the 757, uh, you'll be amazed how few high schools there were. And, and if you take a look at the same thing for Northern Virginia, I mean, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of high schools in Fairfax County and Loudoun County and Prince William. That wasn't the case in 1990. <laughs> if you grew up in Fairfax County, you went to Fairfax High School. And, and now there's, what, 17 high schools there? So there's way more teams, and, and that was certainly the case in, in Hampton Roads. Secondly, it was an area, particularly at Norfolk, Virginia Beach, the whole Tidewater area, where you, football means so much. And so you had these legendary coaches like Mike Smith and Kurt Newsom, and, and, and I'm going to leave someone out, but obviously uh, Lou Johnston. You had these legendary high school coaches, and it meant so much to the community. So you knew, you knew the kids grew up in an area where football was important and and those guys developed a really good trust with, with Coach Beamer, Tommy Riemann, uh, an amazing amount of coaches that, that spent their lives developing high school players in the Hampton Roads area. And, and I think Coach Beamer and that staff, his assistants, took advantage of that more than any other team. And I, and I think the results speak for themselves in, in what he was able to do in terms of talent acquisition from that area. When was the first time you heard of Michael Vick? And when was the first time you actually saw him on a football field? The first time was in February of 1998. It was Michael's senior year in high school, and Virginia Tech assistant coach Jim Cavanaugh, who was recruiting that area. Cav had been at North Carolina, and Frank had hired him to coach on Virginia Tech's defense. He was with Mac Brown's staff in Chapel Hill. Uh, but Cav was a William and Mary guy and, and was familiar with the area, and he said, you've got to go watch this kid. He's going to play in the Virginia High School League All-Star Game at Darling Stadium at Hampton for the East team. He's going to split time at quarterback <laughs> with another guy, Ronald Curry, as, as we all know. Uh, Two pretty and, good and names Ronald, there. At that point, I'm trying to remember if he had signed yet uh, at the time that high school game was played. Uh, he ended up going to Carolina, but I think everyone thought he was going to go to UVA at that point. But in any event, I had a chance to go down and watch Mike play his last pre-game game before Virginia Tech. And you could tell right away that both he and, and Ronald Curry were amazing athletes. And uh, to watch them play in that game at Darling Stadium on the same team, that was the only time those guys were on the same team, uh, was, was really fun. And, and we knew he was going to be something great. Now, we know that, that Tech began to make that ascendance into kind of national prominence in the mid-90s. They had the back-to-back 10-win seasons and the who can, who can forget the Sugar Bowl win over Texas. But the 98 season, there really wasn't any inkling that they were going to take this next step. They, had, they didn't beat UVA, which to any Tech fan is considered a failure, but they also had a, a pretty ugly loss early in the season, well, I guess middle of the season, against Temple, who at that point was one of the worst programs in the country. Was there anything that showed you after that 98 season in the, in the spring game or in the lead-up to the 99 season that this particular collection of players could be special? Well, you're a Temple alum. You should take great pride <laughs> in the 98. 28-and-a-half point uh, underdog, I think, that game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
that year, Virginia Tech lost to Temple in Miami of Ohio, but beat Miami of Florida. (laughs) Kind of a backwards season. And Alabama. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, Michael redshirted that year, and Michael Vick redshirted that year. And that 98 Virginia Tech team had a, had a solid season, but it was up and down. Like I mentioned, they lost to Temple. They lost to Miami of Ohio. But they beat Miami of Florida when the Canes were good. And then they beat Alabama in a bowl game. And they were bringing back a lot of people plus Vick for 99. So I don't know that anyone thought it was a team that could run the table and win out. But I think everyone realized with, with the talent that was returning in 99, and, and and the addition of Vic, it could be a really good season. First game of the season, 99, against James Madison. Obviously, everybody expected them to win, and they did. But you now have this shiny new toy in Michael Vick. What were your thoughts as he's flying through the air for that touchdown? <laughs> yeah, his, uh, his his debut included a somersault into the end zone where he, he, he flipped and uh, did not nail the landing. He turned his ankle on the landing. And, and got hurt, and we were really concerned, like, oh, my goodness, let's just hope he didn't really break his ankle or something. Every- but, you know, in that game, Will, he, he showed what he did for the next couple of years, and that was the ability to, to pull away from people. I, I'm telling you, there were times that Michael Vick would play that some of the fastest guys from Miami or Florida State, guys that made the NFL, uh, sprint, ACC sprinters, and Mike would pull away from them. And, and Mike was fast exploding through the line. And then it was almost like there was this vapor trail behind him. He, he was one of the few players that could accelerate away from world-class or at least uh, national-class ACC sprinters. And it, it was amazing to watch him run. And we all knew he could throw the ball. And he, he made winning plays. And, and he did that. That's why he was a Heisman finalist. That's why he was an NFL All-Pro quarterback. You know, the the I guess the legend of his physical talent is is the stuff of legend. You know, people always go to his speed, but his ability to throw, I think, is something that people overlook. But the amount of talent that team had is unquestioned. But every championship level team has a has a characteristic that you know, ten years on, twenty years on, the fans and the media will always look back and say that's what made this team good. What was the defining trait of the nineteen ninety nine team from your perspective? <laughs> Well, looking back on it, one of the things that I hear from fans these days is teams don't have personality. And it may be an era of political correctness, and it may be coaches want to control everybody on their team. Um, We had a a group of colorful, outspoken people. John Engelberger would talk about politics, and Corey Moore would talk about the role of the media. And all of Frank's assistants were free to speak to the media every week. And we would have Billy Hyde and Jim Cavanaugh and Brian Steinspring, all these assistant coaches on the radio every week. And you don't see that anywhere these days. And maybe that's a good thing. (laughs) But looking back on it, it was a different time in our country politically. Politics maybe didn't divide us as much. But I thought it was always refreshing to hear our guys talk about stuff other than football. And, you know, college kids are pretty smart. They should be able to opine on NCAA legislation. Should colleges have to pay kids or cost of attendance? Now when a college kid comes out and says something, we're almost aghast. Like, 
what gives you this platform to talk? But back in 98, 99, and 2000, it was really common. And the personalities of those kids came out. And I think the fans got to know them more. Uh, and, and that wasn't just a tack. That was in a lot of places. And, and this team was very unique and outspoken. And I think that's what, what I recall about that team from a personality standpoint. You know, that that kind of goes to a point that we spoke about just before we actually started recording this podcast is, you know, the difference in how things are covered, how games are covered. Every game is now on TV. You know, you your role was as the voice of the Hokies back at that point and then even years beyond that. You know, we have quite a few media inductees here in the Hall of Fame, but a lot of them are from the, the print side. Explain the role as you see it for the quote unquote voice of a team. And in this case, the Virginia Tech Hokies. Well, I think it's changed over the years because back then not every game was on television. So there was this responsibility, and there still is, for the voice to describe accurately what's going on on the field. Not necessarily a cheerleader. If, if the other team does something well, you give that team credit. And if Virginia Tech is playing Wake Forest in basketball and, and Tim Duncan is dunking all the time. It's not the official's fault. It's the guy on Wake Forest is really good. And I don't think people understand that. And maybe they understood it more back then. I think now maybe people want their, quote, voice to be a, a cheerleader waving pom-poms in the booth. We, we weren't like that. But again, I think it was a different era. And that people, Tech had the best and biggest radio network in the region. And so we knew there were people even from the other team listening. And neutral fans who were listening. And I always felt like this team is darn good. They're exciting. We don't have to embellish to make Michael Vick sound good. <laughs> if we just describe it accurately, number one, we're going to look like we're solid journalists because we're objective, but people are going to understand that we're not, we're not making this up. Like Michael Vick is really better than any other quarterback in the country. Michael Vick may be a, transcendent player in football, he may change the way people look at the quarterback position. And, and I think that we had developed a bit of, of cash at that point to even UVA fans probably said, well, if, if they're talking about that, he must be legit. We weren't making it up. You know, I think that you have a rep uh, responsibility to your alumni base and to your constituents to paint and represent the school in a positive light but you don't become a homer on the air and make things up and uh, say things that aren't true because the last thing you want to do is, is, is get accused of conning your fans and saying things that are not true. Well, Vic was obviously the focal point. I mean, a, a talent like that and, and turning that team into what it was, it warrants that. But you also had Corey Moore on the defensive side who was a defensive player of the year, Nagurski award winner. You know, he won, I think, every defensive level, top elite defensive trophy that he, he was eligible for that year. But who was the unsung hero on that team or the unsung heroes? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, so many. You know, How much Charlie time do we have, right? <laughs> was from uh, Chesapeake. Uh, the tailback on that team, and uh, a solid guy, Andre. Twelve hundred yards almost that that season, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Andre Davis, uh, who made the NFL and to this day is involved in Virginia Tech athletics, came to Tech as a sprinter on the track team. They worked hard on his wide receiving skills, uh, and then the kicker, uh, Shane Graham, who ended up with a long NFL career. Uh, came, he was an in-state kid who 
uh, came to Virginia Tech and kicked a huge field goal at West Virginia in week eight when Tech was down in the final seconds and the game ended on a 43-yard field goal in Morgantown. Uh, and Caleb Hurd was the holder, and, and, and I bring this up because it's really interesting and it goes to show you where how college football can help anybody. Caleb Hurd was an engineering student at Virginia Tech. He was the holder for Shane Graham on all those kicks, a really intelligent kid. And, in fact, after he made that kick, he launched his own Heisman campaign. (laughs) See, this goes back to the era that it was. A kid could launch his own Heisman campaign. The Internet was just starting, and he launched it. But, But after graduating from Virginia Tech with an engineering degree, he got into NASCAR. And he has become a very successful member of NASCAR pit crews. And so in college, he was on one knee helping Shane Graham make field goals. And now for his career, he's on one knee working on lug nuts and in a high-pressure situation in front of hundreds of thousands of people changing a tire. And there's more to it when you're on a pit crew. It's it's not just changing tires and topping off a gas tank, as, as people that are in the NASCAR know. But, but in, in his own way, the holder on that team has had a long, long professional sports career. And uh, I think it's really exciting that that's where Caleb's career has gone in sports. Do you know what team he, uh, he works for? Which, which racing team? You know, I should. I, it's, he's, he's, he's been with a couple, so I, I don't want to give the wrong one out there. We'll allow it. You know, you're sitting in the broadcast booth in New Orleans. It's 29-28 heading into the fourth quarter. Your mind can start going in many different directions at that point, but did it begin to cross your mind that, holy smokes, a national championship could come back to Blacksburg, Virginia? Yeah, I I was concerned a little bit about the fact that uh, Tech had left some points on on the field and had not scored. They had fumbled on the one-yard line. They had given up two special teams touchdowns. And I'm thinking, you know, it's 29-28, but it really ought to be 29-14. So... Uh, by the way, let me just bring this up. He, Caleb is now with the Joe Gibbs racing team. So that's where Caleb Hurd is. So Working with a, another Virginia guy, Denny Hamlin, potentially. Yeah. What should fans remember about this team and, and the legacy of the 1999 Virginia Tech Hokies? Well, honestly, it's that it, it could happen with a bunch of Virginia high school kids. The, the talent in this state is good enough. The VHSL coaches in this state are dedicated enough. There's good coaching, good players on the prep level. You can win with Virginia high school kids at the highest level. And I think Dabo Sweeney is aware of that. I think the coach Saban at Alabama is aware of that. And the guy that right now is, is, is dominating in this state is James Franklin and the staff at Penn state. They are, um, I mean, they're going to have to fly the Virginia Commonwealth flag at Beaver State. (laughs) I think Penn State is doing as good of a job in recruiting Virginia that George Welsh or Frank Beamer or any of the Carolina coaches back in the 80s, even before that, Dooley was at Carolina, and and after that, Dick Crum and others that came into the state. I don't know that any football coach ever – has owned Virginia more than James Franklin does right now. We actually just had a, a local talent from Maury High School just commit to Penn State. So that, that is right to your point. 
the state has been has gotten a, a much more increased profile among college football, particularly from a recruiting standpoint over the last decade. And it, it really is fun to see. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with the transient nature, particularly in Northern Virginia. So it's, again, if you go back and look at the number of high schools in, in Loudoun and Fairfax and Prince William County and where those families are from, they're, they're not necessarily second or third generation Virginia families who grew up going to UVA or grew up going to Virginia tech. And, and so if you're living up there and you're in the DC area and it's, just as close to get to state college as it is to Blacksburg. Uh, they don't necessarily look as Penn state as being an out of state school, so to speak. And it's, if you're in Loudoun County, it, it, it's easier to get to state college time-wise than Blacksburg. So I, I think that's where Franklin has shown an ability to, it used to be Penn state mine, New Jersey for the most part, but now they're, they're coming down here in a big way. Well, and it makes it a much more challenging task for the in-state coaches, the Fuentes, the Mendenhalls, uh, the Bobby Wilders down here, uh, all of our Division One programs. They uh, they now are going up against these these much larger brands. Whereas you know years ago, it, like you mentioned, it it was well, this is what our family's always done. We're gonna we're going to go to this school, and and that kind of leads me into my one of my next questions is. You know, before 1999, um, I grew up in Virginia. I knew about Virginia Tech, but I don't know if the Midwest knew about Virginia Tech. I don't know if the West Coast knew about Virginia Tech and, you know, the, the maroon and orange logo, if that, if that, you know, engendered any sort of emotion. What did that 99 team do for national branding? Well, I don't know that Virginia Tech gets into the ACC if Michael Vick is in Virginia Tech. Tech was in the Big East, and... That was a that was a half court shot that Tech nailed to get into that league. That was more or less they needed teams. <laughs> Who are they going to take? And they took Temple and Virginia Tech, and it was West Virginia, BC, Syracuse, Miami, and, and Tech and Miami had a good relationship on the on the administrative level. Athletic administration and the presidents uh, enjoyed each other, and so Virginia Tech got into the Big East. That could have just as easily been Cincinnati or Connecticut, or East Carolina. But Tech was a Southern independent, no different than South Carolina was, or Memphis, but Tech got into the Big East. But I think the 99 team's success totally changed the way Virginia Tech was perceived. And the stadium expanded, and the winds continued, and everyone saw the crowd. And I think that made Tech very attractive in the summer of 03, when the ACC expanded, and then 04 was Tech's first year on the new league, I'm not sure that doesn't happen. You know, Virginia Tech might be in the American Athletic Conference if it wasn't for Vic. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. Now, you left Blacksburg for a year. After all your years in Blacksburg, you went out to UCLA, but you returned, and you're actually now a professor at the school uh, working with some up-and-coming broadcasters. Uh, kind of talk about the work that you're doing for the school. Talk about how that program has evolved as well at Virginia Tech. It's not the only program that's evolving. Yeah, we started a sports media analytics program, and it was actually something that we had started even before I left. We had an internship program, and we were trying to get kids on the air and involved in different internship programs, not only at Tech, but around the state at TV stations and with minor league baseball and summer league baseball. There's the summer leagues in Cape Cod, and there's one in the Shenandoah Valley, and there's a Woodbat Summer League in Minnesota. And, and so we've always been trying to put kids in here. and We just put it together uh, on an academic side, which, candidly, I knew nothing about. And 
we're our fourth year into this, and I still don't know a whole lot on the academic side. And but they brought me in, and they brought a gentleman by the name of Robin Reed, who was the uh, local anchor on the CBS affiliate in Roanoke. And so we ha- we have a group of students, and we work with them in a studio. Tech has built a brand new uh, studio that's incredibly remarkable. It looks not necessarily a network set, but it's better than most local television stations these days with video walls and the graphics and the lighting and the, the, the studio and the control room is just incredibly immaculate. And the ACC network has launched now this fall. And so we're getting kids a lot of work there, both in front of the camera and in the studio. And so now we have an opportunity for kids to major in sports media and analytics at Virginia Tech. And we're really excited about it. And kids from all over the state and all over the region are, are getting in touch with us. And, and we've got a bunch of kids involved now. We have over 100 kids taking those classes this semester. And I'm really excited about it. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the broadcaster. Robin's the broadcaster. And they have the academic people that help us design classes. And here's what a syllabus should look like. And here are the policies and the, the academic side of things. But, but we're looking at at reels and resume tapes and how do they sound on the air and, and helping them get internships at TV and stations and radio stations and with teams all around the region. It's uh, from a personal standpoint, broadcast journalism was my major in college and it's a really rewarding profession. Uh, I worked in it for about five years. Um, would have loved to have carried it on, but the, the nature of the business changed. Uh, but it really is a wonderful profession. And, you know, College Football 150 on ESPN has been running a lot of documentaries celebrating the 150 years. And one of the ones that I just recently saw were the greatest voices. So the Larry Munson, speaking of, you know, fans of the team, you know, the, the legendary Georgia voice. But then you have the Brent Musburgers, Keith Jacksons, just to name a few. Who did you look up to or try to emulate as you were coming into broadcasting? Oh, I looked up to all those guys. You know, we still talk about Brent Musburger now. I tell kids, you've got to sell the show. When you come on the air, it's a show. It's part journalism, but part showbiz. And I think Brent, even now in his role with the Raiders, continues to do that. And Keith Jackson had that ability. Whenever you heard his voice, you knew it was a big game. and He was able to draw you in. And that's the biggest thing that we're, we're trying to get across that, if you're a, if you're a fan of sports, that helps. But we don't want we don't want fans coming to Virginia Tech to study journalism. If you want to be a fan, go buy a season ticket. You need to be a fan of journalism and fan of showbiz and how you put an open together and what are the graphics and how do you tell the story? Because my my big line, Will, is to all these kids is tell me a story. Because whether we are. Uh, <laughs> doing play-by-play of a game or anchoring the newscast or doing a package in the field or hosting a talk show or a podcast. We're in the storytelling business. And, and that's what I want to hear. Can you tell me the story of this player or this coach? Don't, don't tell me that someone is 6-1-2-10. Tell me a story about this person. And so there's a lot of research that goes into that and, interviewing people and asking the right questions. That's what I, that's what I listen for. If, if a kid uses a cliche, they know that I'm going to get really upset. And and if a kid uses a statistic just to fill time, they know I'm going to get upset. I want to know about the person, not how tall he is or some meaningless statistic. And so that's what we work on. And it's, it's fun. 
give them something that they can't find anywhere else. And you mentioned storytelling. You know, one of the best stories that this state has seen uh, in its sporting history is that 1999 Virginia Tech Hokies football team. And, and Bill, it was a pleasure kind of reliving that with you as well as, you know, learning more about what you're doing now to kind of help that next generation of broadcasters. And, and we can't thank you enough for joining us today on the Hall Call podcast. Thank you, Will. And thanks for all you're doing for the Hall and uh, for athletes and coaches and fans in Virginia. I will. Uh, I appreciate that. And hopefully I can continue to do that and, and uphold the tradition of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. Well, I'd like to thank Bill Roth for joining us today. You can still hear Bill on ESPN football broadcasts as well as numerous other uh, sports media outlets throughout the country. And you can follow him on Twitter at Bill Roth underscore, where you can get all of your college sports information with the Roth Report and stay up to date with the next generation of broadcasters coming through that program we just talked about at Virginia Tech. As always, if you like what you heard, please like and follow the Hall Call podcast on SoundCloud. All new episodes can be found on our website, www.vasportshof.com, and on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all with the handle at VASportsHOF. Thank you to ESPN Radio 94.1 WVSPFM and our executive producer, Thomas Simmons. Until next time, I am Will Driscoll, and you have been listening to the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame's Hall Call Podcast.